Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are continuing in the book of Leviticus. We are in H. We talked last week about H. We talked about the holiness code. Um, Israel Professor Israel Knoll calls HS, the holiness school, because too often I think we tend to think of an author when in biblical texts it's not an author. It is a school of thought, and the school of thought produces a certain approach to both religion, to theology, to commandments, to the tradition, to the people, to obligation. We got it. So so we are in HS, we are continuing in the holiness school. So a complete approach to the P material, to the priestly concerns, to the, uh, the way and the technicalities of Israel bringing offerings. Uh, and what we're going to get today uh, is a discussion and elucidation of the uh, liturgical calendar. Knoll has a whole bunch of stuff on this. It's very interesting, um, but we're uh, we're going to look at it, and then we're actually going to go um, with Rabbi Aaron Lieb Smokler looking at the spot I met. Mark read it before today and agrees that it's a beautiful piece. So um, uh, she, of, she of course, is is using the spot I met, Rabbi Yehuda Leib of Ger, uh, to comment uh, on the tradition. Uh, and um, you know, she has the whole parsha to choose from. So for a couple of weeks now, it's lined up with our very small slice of the Torah portion that we look at, the third third, right? Because we're in the third year of the triennial reading. So it's very exciting that it's lined up for us that we get to look at her stuff. Okay, so let's go right to the text. Leviticus 23, 23. By Deber something new and different. God said to Moses, saying... Speak to the Israelite people and say, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe complete uh, rest, a sacred, okay, you know what, no, we're going back a little, sorry, I lied, we're going to go back a little, because it's a little weird to start, to start where we started, even though it's the triennial reading. Let's go back to four, verse four, all right, notice in verse four what we get here. Ela Moade Yudhe Vavhe, right? These are the sacred occasions of Yudhe Vavhe. So the word here is from the Shoresh, Moed, or Mem Ayin Dalit is the Shoresh. The Hebrew word is Moed. All right. So Moed is by definition, we've been talking throughout Leviticus about what is Kadosh. And what is not, like what is sacred, what is not, what is tahor, what is pure, what is tameh, what is impure, right? We go back and forth because that's the priestly concern, right? What is, you can't have any kind of ickiness or it will repel the pure, only pure force that is God. So we have to be careful about what is kadosh, what is a set aside for God, what is um, what is not. Moed is a time that is set aside. So by definition, Moed is kadosh, right? Is sacred. And what do we know about sacred? What does sacred mean in Hebrew actually? What does kadosh mean? Completely separate, completely set apart. There's no word holy in Hebrew. We, that's our English way of talking about it, sacred or holy. Kadosh is completely set apart, meaning for God. Okay? So, so, so Moed is by definition Kadosh. It is a sacred time. Okay. So what is the opposite of that? What is the opposite of Kadosh? Ha! Stumped him. It is Chol. Chol is secular, regular. So remember we've been talking about normally we are in a state of Kadoshah. Uh, or I mean, of being tahor, of being pure. Then life happens, and there are things that make us tameh. There are things that make us impure. That's fine. That's how it's supposed to be. 
being impure is not bad, it's not wrong, it's not awful, it is just dysregular. It's non-regular. Chol, time that is not, not kadosh, is not bad. It's not less than, it is regular. Okay? So all of the priestly system is based on what is regular and what is not regular and what you do in both of those cases. When it's a person, it's about how close you can come to the sancta. If you are impure, you can't approach the sancta. If you have a certain level of impurity, like sara'at, right, then you're outside the camp. You can't even be in the camp because your level of non-tahornus non-purity can contaminate the camp and then God's presence can't dwell in the camp, right? So it's about, so that's for a person. But what about time? It's also relevant for time for ancient Israel. There is time that is mo'ed, that is by definition kadosh. That time is set aside for God. So just like when you're pure or impure, there are things you can and cannot do as a person vis-a-vis the sancta and the community and sacred space. So there is with time. If it's mo'ed, there are things you can and cannot do because that time is kadosh. And there are rules about engaging with kadosh, with kadusha, right? With holy stuff that has to do with God. Like Shabbat. Shabbat is Moed. It is a festival, a sacred time. And whole time is regular time. You just do what you do. So if you like eating a bologna sandwich at lunchtime at exactly 12.02 on Thursdays, there's nothing wrong with whole. Whole is a great thing. It's not less than. It's just different from Mo'ed, from time that is set aside for God. The the, uh, Havdalah prayer talks about the separation of Kodesh Lachol. So we Hamadil ben Kodesh Lachol separating. Exactly. So we talked last class that I did. Why do we do that? Check it out as a podcast if you missed the class. Why do we do that? Why do we do Havdalah? Right. And so that was one of the questions we asked was, why do we do Havdalah? Why do we have this whole set of blessings and rituals to end Shabbat? If Shabbat is the funky, amazing, sacred time, it's because we have work to do the other six days. And that is also a sacred obligation is to go out and use our practice of Shabbat and how it changes us, hopefully, to go out in the world and do work that repairs the world, that moves the world a little bit closer to what it should be from what it is. That's the whole point of the tradition, according to the rabbis. The whole point of this agreement between God and the people of Israel, the whole point is to move the world, this is according to Rabbi Yitz Greenberg, to move the world from where it is a little closer to where it should be, could be. Um, And that's the point of the covenant. That's the point of all of this business, according to the rabbis. If you go back to the creation story, Yud Hey Vav Hey creates the world by separating things. 100%. Separating day and night, separating the waters above from the waters Separation below. Separation is the way the way creation remains in place. This is why we have so many P regulations around not right last time we talked about not crossing things. Linen and wool, not harnessing a donkey to an ox, right? You, we, and not taking certain trees and grafting them. You you don't mix certain things men wearing women's clothing, um, all those kinds of things is about crossing categories that made, you know, P very concerned about creation coming undone. There's a prayer I say every morning, Modani Lefaneka, and I know what the prayer means, but at the end I add one, one little sentence that says, let me get it a little better today than I got it yesterday, which reiterates what you just said. Absolutely. Our aim is to get it a little better. Just a little better. Now, I've, I've heard you talk about this a lot, but it just occurred to me as you, as you were speaking that there, you know, probably the scientists here know that there's the concept of entropy in physics, which is, um, you know, simply put, it's more chaotic. Well, like if you... Like if you take a, a, a teaspoon of sugar and you put it 
into your tea and then it mixes into the tea, it de sort of the opposite of separating. But that's Put it into your mouth so they can Oh, so, sorry, that, that's entropy. So it's the world going from a... And um, it just struck me as you were talking, if you look at this like, like a physics problem, it's um, the separation is exactly the the, um, the reverse effect of entropy. Right. I mean, life in life itself. A lot of biologists would, would say that it's it's going backwards. It's entropy going backwards. It's it's organizing itself. A cell is dividing into you know the the certain parts, and the chemicals themselves are sort of separating, and it's it's sort of reorganizing itself. And it just occurred to me that that the you know kind of the life force or or the uh, this this obsession with separation is kind of an obsession with um, reversing entropy, really. Um, Beautifully said. Yeah. Beautifully said. Thank you for giving us that contemporary right context. Because yes, for them, it it really was the undoing of creation. If you start to have things, if the sugar melts into the tea, it's not sugar anymore the same way. Right. You want it to go back you, to you its original. You want sugar to stay sugar and tea to stay tea. Because right. if it all starts to do that dissolving, we have the original condition of tohu vavohu, of complete, like, right? And that's what God did to make creation was separate those but, things. But what, that what they're up. kind of saying is you have to you have to fight entropy. It's not enough just Correct. to hang out. Because you have the, to be vigilant about well, entropy. Yes. Right. The natural state of things yes. are to devolve. Yes. So you sort of push it, and in the end, you lose. I mean, that, that's what the physicists would tell you, because eventually it, it it all goes back, you know. Yes. But but, so, but but you can it's it's um uh it's it's um it's it's about um, fighting the the progress of entropy. Correct. Yeah. Yes. That so that that's how we would talk about it. The priests are very concerned about that. Okay, yeah. Mark. Uh, there's a, there's another aspect to it as well. Uh, at least it's, it seems to me, um, the whole issue of separating good from bad is very much uh, a part of the earliest aspects of the whole developmental sequence and is uh, an essential part of being able to organize oneself uh, uh, psychologically in order not to be not to be utterly chaotic to have any kind of internal organization um, but it starts out with this uh, very absolutist need to separate all stimuli that are aversive from all stimuli that are gratifying. And uh, one of the things that then happens is that 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 ultimately leads through a very complicated series of developments to the ability to have a, um, a kind of a loving relationship with the external world, to be able to relate to the external world. It begins with being able to separate what the, the jargon is to separate the good from the bad. Okay, so um, so all of these modern contemporary ways of understanding that distinctions are important, whether it's we're talking about entropy, whether we're talking about I need to distinguish internally about what I'm drawn to, what I what I'm repelled from, or want to move away from, like a, a single-celled organism even does that. Um, so that we can then have a more complicated, nuanced relationship with the outside world. So I just want to be careful that we, I 100% appreciate that perspective. I just want to make sure we're not using language good and bad in any way to relate to this stuff, because that's how we have got too many people have misunderstood Leviticus to see impurity as bad, right, so, or dirty. And so I just want to make sure we, like, separate um, that language from from what we're talking about. But, yeah, so this this ability to really make distinctions, I think, allows us nuance. It allows a relationship of complication and nuance once we're clear about certain things that we, right, that we distinguish between. Um, okay, so I'm not asking that we buy the whole, the whole peace system or the whole holiness code. I'm asking that we appreciate what it's actually about and what it's trying to do and what it's not trying to do. Okay, so let's go back to now. We got two words into our text. All right, so Ela Moade Adonai, 
mikra'e kodesh, asher tikra'u otam bimo'adam. So here we get all this language around mo'ed, kadosh, right? All that stuff. These are the, it says here, set times, I would say, sacred times of yudhe the sacred occasions, mikra'e kodesh, which you shall celebrate each at its appointed time, right? Bamo Adam, in their time. Bachodesh Harishon, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, Bain Ha'arbaim. So this is an important uh, concept. Bain Ha'arbaim, at twilight. Between night and day. We have just talked a lot about distinctions. What is happening for a big action, a big ritual moment? Where is it placed? Between night and day, in a murky middle place. Interesting, right? Of all places, you're going to put it. Wait a minute. Weren't we just talking about Kodesh and Chol? Weren't we talking about Pure and Impure? Weren't we talking about and you're and Dafka? You're going to place. Slaughtering the Pesach, the Paschal lamb, you're going to put that at when? Between. You're going to put it in the middle between day and night. Very interesting. Between day and night, right? So that, that is not an either or, which is what we've been obsessed with, is either or. Okay. So we just get, between, between the times, right? Okay. Pesach la Adonai. It is a Pesach offering to Yerhevafe on the 14th day of the month. That's Pesach. Uvachamishasar yom lachodesh hazeh. And on the 15th day of this month, Chag Hamatzot la Adonai. We have the festival of Matzot, of Matzah to Yerhevafe. Shifat Yamim. For seven days, Matzot Tochelu. Will you eat Matzah? All right, what have we done as modern Israel? What have we done? We have conflated, as did the rabbis. We have conflated the festival of Pesach with the Chag HaMatzot, with the Matzah festival. We have put them together, right? We've talked about this a lot. Those of you who have studied with me a long time, the semi-nomadic pastoralist lambing festival gets put together with the new grain festival of settled agriculturalists, okay? So they take the two different subsistence technologies and the cultures surrounding them, and they no longer compete. They come together in what is now Pesach, on which for those, you know, so we have Pesach, we have Seder, and then we have um, seven days of eating matzah. Ow! Okay. On the first day, Mikra'e Kodesh, it is called, it is, it is Kodesh for y'all. What does that mean? So you shall do no work. It is Kodesh for y'all because why? Because it is set aside for God. This is God time. The first day of that festival is God time. What do you humans do when it's God time? Get out of the way. Get out of the way and stop all your racket, right? From very ancient times, don't disturb the gods. Because if you disturb the gods, terrible things happen. So this is time for Yudhe a sacred occasion, right? Y'all stop working, stop manipulating, stop monkeying around, stop all your racket, because this time is for God, okay? So that's the first day of this business. And you and if this is God time, what has to happen? You will make fire offerings to Yudhe Buffet, of course. The seventh day shall also be a sacred occasion, right? So the Seventh day, Mikra Kodesh is Kodesh. All of your work you will not do. So there's a there's a Mikra Kodesh the first day, Mikra Kodesh the last day to Mark's point. What's in between? You got all these days in between. So it's whole. 
the time in between the Yom Tov, the, the sacred day, and the last sacred day, those days, those intervening days are whole, but it's still a sacred chunk of time to God. So the rabbis call it Chol Hamoed, right? So it is Chol Hamoed. It is Chol, yes, but it is in Moed time. So you're not exactly in secular time because you still have prohibitions. You can't eat leavened bread. And you're still bringing fire offerings when the temple stood to God. So it's still Moed. But it is chol. It is not don't work time, right? So it is a kind of mix. So this mix of not Yom Tov, not Mikra Kodesh, it is, but it's still Moed. So it's kind of this, this in between, chol hamoed. So you'll hear a lot of people say, what is the Torah reading for chol hamoed Pesach? Right? That's a blah, 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 blah. What's the Torah reading for Chol HaMoed Pesach? Chol, what is the Torah reading for Chol HaMoed during Pesach? The, the non-holiday times during Pesach. We also have Chol HaMoed Sukkot. Right? Sukkot is another week-long festival. The days that are not Mikra Kodesh, where you don't stop working, are Chol HaMoed Sukkot. Okay? What, what also did we notice about when Passover happens? Which month? Which month? The first month. Chodesh HaRishon. The first month is Pesach. All right. So say to the people when they enter the land, um, this is talking now about harvesting and not because we're talking about harvest festivals. All of the, because this can look like kind of random. When you enter the land and you harvest, don't reap all the way to the edges, right? You, you could imagine why is agricultural rules all of a sudden here? Because these are harvest festivals. So don't forget people harvesting at Pesach, right? The grain, the wheat harvest. Don't y'all forget, do not reap all the way to the ends. And the first sheaf of your harvest goes to God, right? Goes to the priest. And when you have that, that sheaf, what are you going to do? You are going to elevate it. Behenif. You're going to lift up that emor, that omer, that sheaf of wheat before yud hey vav hey for acceptance on your behalf. The priest shall elevate it on the day after the Sabbath. Some people want to imagine that if you raise the, the thing of wheat and it's a, you lift it up and it's a, it looks like the wheat in the field. Um, if you lift up the sheaf of wheat and it's waved, like it looks like the grain in the field. So you're, you could imagine it's, it's a derivative of pagan ritual that would have been gratitude for the harvest. You kind of want to emulate, right? This is what we're thankful for. This sheaf that used to be out there doing this, that's what we're acknowledging that we're grateful for. And we want that to be perpetuated. And so we make offerings and do all those things to make sure there's a, a, a good harvest next time i understand however that we're not really supposed to eat lamb on pesach is that correct it, it, it no but yes it is the rabbis don't want god forbid for us to be confused that this is actually a pesach offering because there is no offerings because there's no temple so god forbid it should start to feel like you think you're offering a lamb for the pesach offering and then eating it Back to our text. On the day that you elevate the sheaf, you shall offer as a burnt offering to God a lamb of the first year without blemish. Then we have a meal offering, mincha. Ever heard of mincha? The afternoon service? It's an offering. Mincha is an offering, right? So that's what the mincha service is. Um, so it's, and we get the instructions, choice flour with oil mixed in. This is a, an offering for God, right? So what does God get out of it? Reach nichoach, the, the smell, right? And the libation with it shall be of wine, a quarter of a heen of wine. Until that very day, until you've brought the offering of your God, you shall eat no bread or parched grain or fresh ears. It is a law for all time throughout the ages in your settlements. This is why we don't eat leavened stuff. 
And from the day on which you bring the sheaf of elevation offering, the day after the Sabbath, you shall count off seven weeks. They must be complete. Look at the Hebrew on verse 15. Shabbatot timimot. Shabbatot, weeks, timimot, complete. All right, this is where she's going to go. She's going to, Sfat Emet is going to have commentary on Shabbatot timimot. Pure, uh, full weeks. But Amy, you better hurry because you only have 20 minutes left. Okay. So we started five minutes late though. Um, all right. So you shall count off seven weeks. This is where we are. This is where we are after Passover, after, but the rabbis are not clear about what are these instructions. Do you start counting the day after the sheaf is raised, meaning second day of Pesach, or do you count the day after the Sabbath. It is confusing, so the rabbis have to rule. The rabbis rule, it's from second day of Pesach. So starting second Seder, right, we count the Omer. Um, and so we're, we're going to count seven sets, no, one set of seven weeks, 49 days. The 50th day, what is the 50th day? You must count until the day after the seventh week, 50 days. Then you shall bring an offering of new grain to God because that is the barley harvest. 50 days after the wheat harvest in Israel is the barley harvest. That means beer. Okay, lovely. That's where people go in this class. You shall bring from your settlements two loaves of bread as an elevation offering. Each shall be made of two-tenths of a measure of choice flour baked after leavening as first fruits to Yudhei Buffet, right? So this is leavened bread to, to be very distinct from, right? Chag Hamatzot, the festival of non-leavened stuff. With the bread you shall present as burnt offerings to God. And here we get what they are. Seven lambs, a bull, two rams, a meal offering, libations, uh, a he goat, two yearling um, lambs as a shalom offering, as a shlamim. The priest shall elevate them, right? Um, they are there for the priests. On that same day, meaning the 50th day after you start counting, seven sets of seven days, it shall be a sacred occasion for you. We again have um, Mikra Kodesh. You shall not work at your occupations. This is a law for all time in your settlements throughout the ages. We started at verse 24 originally. Talk to Israel and say, Bachodesh Hashvi'i, on the, in the seventh month, Be'echad Lachodesh, on the first day of the month, Yielachem Shabbat Zikaron, you will have a Shabbat of remembrance. Tru'ah Mikra Kodesh. What is the Zikaron involving? Tru'ah. Mikra Kodesh. It's a time of Kodesh. That's it. That's it, people, for Rosh Hashanah. That's it. And what's it called here? It's called the seventh month. It clearly is not Rosh Hashanah. It is not the new year. It is the seventh month. All you're doing is is saying, this is the first day of the seventh month. Why? Why do that? Why do Zikaron Trua'ah? Why do a Trua'ah on the first day of this month? Between what and what? But why don't we have then on the other on the other Kodesh times? For what? It doesn't say anything. It just says it just says do that. Why? Because it says so. Because it says so. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Nobody ever in this room says because it says so. Until I don't have what to say. Okay. Because God said so. All right, that's different. Because God said so. All right. So the theory is, one theory is, you go to let people know it's the first day of the seventh month. Why? Because if you look up at the sky on the first day of a month, what does the moon look like? The new moon is what? A tiny sliver, if you see anything. right? It's just a tiny sliver. If you know, brrr, look up, this is the new moon, and you track the moon, 
What happens 10 days after Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur. <laughs> so the theory is you blow this truah to let people know on the first day of the seventh month that it's the seventh month. Right? It's been a long time since Pesach. Right? The first month. It's been a long time since Rosh Hashanah. So you could forget what month we're in if you don't have a calendar. Right? And so brr, people pay attention. This is the first day of that month. Which month? The seventh month. Why is that important? Because the holiest day of the year is in this month. Why do we have two New Year's? Basically? Because we walked into civilizations. We were exposed to the Babylonian calendar and we adopted the Babylonian calendar. There is ancient evidence within ancient Israel for both calendars, for both systems. And so the Babylonian calendar won because we were in Babylonia. Right, but but according to the but, but it's the first month is still the first month. Do you know what I'm saying? No, and the seventh two month calendars that okay. compete. All right. The Babylonian calendar won. Okay. What we have recorded here is one tradition. There was another tradition that the new year began in the fall. So the month of of Rosh Hashanah is also it's the seventh month and the first month. Yes, historically, yes, both. We have attestations of both. But don't we think of it now as the seventh month? No. No, we think of now it, as, we the think of it as the first month. Okay. It's okay. We yeah. one system one. Like, one system one. Okay. It, right. At least they're so, both lunar. That they're both lunar, yeah, right? They we have that. Been worse. We have that. They're both <laughs> lunar. There you go. So um, way, way to go. Way to pull that together. <laughs> um, way to synthesize. So right, somebody has to win. If you have two different New Years, one system has to win. Because we were exiled to Babylonia, because that's where the majority of the Jewish community was and stayed, the Babylonian system won. And what did they do in the New Year on the Babylonian system that began in the fall? What did they do in Babylonia? How did they celebrate that festival? Do we remember? Oh, what did they do? They crowned the king. It was a, coron- a re-coronation of the king. What is all of our metaphor in the, in the Rosh Hashanah liturgy? Crowning God as king. That, that so is reconstructionism, I... people. Could be. So there's a complete consensus on when the first month is? There is a complete consensus that that's what we do now. Okay. Not that it ever, you have, if you look at Torah, there's no way the rabbis can say it was always so. Right, right. Okay. They, so, we just read it. So, they know that. But do they sort of coexist still? I, I guess I've heard both or, or no, one, one. The, the, the Jewish New Year begins in the fall. Okay. Right? So was there once a tradition where it began in the spring? Yes. There is no, there is no reference to spring being the first of the year anymore. Okay, so nobody's going to argue with you on Nobody's going to argue. The, you have to remember, the rabbi's opinion hold. It is legal. It is, it is legal. Anything outside of it is not legal. Okay. So once they rule, that's it. It's done. Yes. Rosh Hashanah starts the Jewish New Year. So 57, whatever it is, starts at, at Tishrei, yeah. the first of Tishrei. I've heard there's actually four Jewish New Years. Oh, my God. (laughs) Bert Kleinman has to complicate everything. Okay. Yes, there are traditionally four Jewish New Years. The New Year of the Trees, like we have a whole thing, right? So to be shvat. Okay. So so if you want to look it up, look it up. Google it. Four Jewish New Years. Look it up. It's from the Talmud. Or call Bert Kleinman, who will happily complicate your life. Okay. So um, let's look at, I want to look a little bit at the Svatimit, because it's just a beautiful teaching, which really, really, I think is, a, it's a deep teaching for me at this time. So we're starting in the English of the translation of the Svatimit, Rabbi Yehuda Leib of Ger, the Gera Rebbe, the Gera Rebbe. Okay. All right. The days of the counting of the Omer, which is what we just read, are mentioned within the context of the religious festivals in Leviticus 23. Why? So the Svatimet is asking why. Why do we get the counting of the Omer right now? Because how could it have gone? Leviticus could have said, here are the times that are Moed. Here are the times that are Kadosh. Then after that, it could have said, 
between two of those, you count, you count seven weeks of seven days. There's nothing special going on. You're just counting, marking the days until you get to day 50. But it's not written like that. It's stuck in the middle of Mo, Moed, stuck in the middle of the conversation about sacred time. Why? That's what the Svadimet is asking. Because they are holidays, he says. The counting the Omer, those days of the Omer, those 49 days are like Chol HaMoed. They are like the, the working days between two days of Yom Tov. How? Because they are in between. They have a holiness in them because before is Passover and after is Shavuot, which for us now is the receiving of the Torah. It's no longer the barley harvest, right? For the rabbis reconstruct the meaning of Shavuot to be this is the day we got the Torah, right? So those are two big holy times. These are the holiest times for the people, Israel and ancient times. The Liberation from slavery, right? Redemption, redemption from slavery. Remember, there's no redemption from sin in Judaism. Redemption is from slavery, always. Nothing to do with sin. So redemption and revelation, the two big blockbuster holy moments of Israelite time in between are these 49 days. They have their own holiness the way Chohamoe does. Beautiful, beautiful teaching. The verse states, and then we got the verse, right? We read it on the day in which you bring the sheaf, blah, blah, blah. They must complete, they must be complete Shabbatot. Remember, we decided it has to be, we saw it in the text, whole weeks to me mot. The Midrash, for the Midrash, that's, that is an open engraved invitation. Why does the Torah have to add to me mot? complete what they're incomplete weeks and there's never a word wasted in the torah god forbid right ever so why does it have to say shabbatot to mimot whole weeks are in what there's seven days or seven days a shavuot like it's a, a, a week is a week what, what are we worried about that they have to be complete so the rabbis are going to answer of course they don't ask a question if they don't have an answer they're jews all right, so it is brought about on the verse. Oh, sorry. The Midrash comments, when are they complete? Meaning they're not complete in and of themselves. How are they complete when Israel does the will of the creator? When Israel behaves, those weeks are considered complete. And it's brought on the verse, God is concerned for the days or the needs, the word can be interpreted both ways, is what Svatimet is suggesting, of the blameless. Well, how do we say blameless? Plural in Hebrew, timimim. So remember, it's all a word game for the rabbis. If it says that the, the Shavuot, the weeks have to be timimot, and over there in the Psalms, it says that God is very concerned with the timimim, the blameless, there must be a connection. There has to be a reason. If it says this here, the same word there, there has to be a connection. That's the game, the holy game. So what? what's the connection? Just as they are blameless, so too are their years. So people who are, to me, meme, blameless, pure, so too is their time. So those weeks become timimot. So when Israel behaves as timimim, then their shavuot, their weeks are timimot. Beautiful interpretation. What does it mean when the Bible says they have to be full weeks? It means don't read full, God forbid. Look at the Psalms. It tells us timimim actually means blameless, pure. When Israel behaves as timimim, their time is timimah. Okay, beautiful teaching. Okay, but wait, we're not done. This applies to these Omer days too, which must be timimot, complete, and are also days of the blameless, yemei timimim. As it says, the Lord is concerned, right, for timimim. Thus they are within the category of religious festivals and are called seven Shabbatot, blah, 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 blah. 
after the exodus from Egypt, when we were made to be like little ones just born, this is from the Talmud, and rested from the hands of the other side, the Sitra Achra, the dark side, right? When we come out of Egypt, this the Talmud says, we are like babies being dropped into the midwife's hands, rescued from the Sitra Achra, the dark side. Remember, childbirth was a time of great danger for both mother and baby. So when that baby comes out alive, it has been rescued from the dark side. That is why the Holy One gave us these days, as it is said, you shall count for yourselves. It doesn't say you shall count for me or just you shall count. It says you shall count lachem for yourselves. What does that mean? This is a gift for our own good, meaning it's for us, literally for us, um, that we may come to be tame, uh, to be tame, to be pure, to be mim, to be mut, tame, all about, uh, sorry, not tame, um, uh, so that it is about becoming tam. It is about becoming, you'll see on a headstone, ish tam. Go to a Jewish cemetery and you'll see ish tam, that this person was an ish tam, tamimim, tamimot, tam is singular. So it's taken on even more than complete or full or blameless. It's someone who's straightforward, who's simple, who's honest, who's good, who's pure. This is the sense of tam. The whole year depends on these days like the nurturing of crops during this week. The vitality of the person is revealed during this time for the whole practice of the Omer is an indication of inner behavior. Meaning this is a gift to us, this counting of time from one highlight in our, in our, in our mythic history to the other. This time in between is important too. It is a time for us to try to live into what liberation made possible, redemption made possible, the fulfillment of Torah. Only free people can choose to live lives of holiness and justice, which means accepting Torah, accepting the yoke of how to behave, right? So they're they're connected by these 49 days that are very important. Okay, what did I love about this teaching? Let's go down. Drop down, drop down, drop down. Page three, bottom of the page. The days of the Omer are holidays of a sort. They are like the interim days, Chol HaMoed of Sukkot and Pesach. Those days in between big holidays that retain the holiness of the days, but not all of the restrictions or rituals. Those days are quintessentially liminal, not quite chol, mundane, and not quite moed, religious festivals. They introduce a third kind of time, one that hovers between the ordinary and the extraordinary. On this, in this way of reading it, the seven weeks of the Omer are seven weeks of in-betweenness, seven weeks of living between peak experiences which I just like laid out for you based on her teaching and the Svada Metz teaching, it seems fitting to me that the only ritual that marks this time is an awareness of time. Usfartem lachem, y'all shall count for y'all. All of these days, says the Svada Met in the teaching above, have an aspect of Shabbat to them, right? They're regular days with a hint of something irregular, Okay. So I'm reminded, she says, of another period of in-betweenness that is also designated as a time for intense spiritual growth, the 10 days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, right? Bottom of page four. There too, we have a rhythm of peak experiences held together by a period of extraordinary time, 10 days of introspection and return. All right. I'm reminded of another kind of little liminal time, says Rabbi Smokler, one that occurs every day that we just read in our Parsha. What is that? Bain Hashmashot or Bain Ha'arbaim, between the lights. Bain Hashmashot literally means between the lights, Mm-mm. between the light of the sun and the light of the moon. That is Bain Hashmashot, the time between the lights. That, as Mark said earlier, between sunset and moonrise, because it's the time between the lights um, that we read about. That's when the Pesach lamb is slaughtered. Okay, ow. So, 
Pirkei Avot, the chapters of the ancestors, identifies this time as an especially auspicious one, particularly during the time of creation. Because according to Midrash, what happened the last day of creation at Ben Ha'arbaim, at Ben Hashmashot, what happened then? Well, if you know Talmud well, top of page five, what happened at that middle in-between time of the last day of creation just before Shabbat? What was created? The mouth of the earth, meaning the one that swallows Korach and his people. The mouth of the well. The mouth of the donkey. Remember the donkey that talks? That was created then. The rainbow that God's going to give as a sign that God's never going to destroy the world again. Remember that? The mana. Mana was created. The staff of Moses. It's going to right help be the big thing It's going to be the show thing for the miracles, the shamir, the letters, the writing, and the tablets. There are very different lists of this, by the way. There are very, very different lists. This is one list um, that, that we're getting here. Some say also the demons, the grave of Moses, and the ram of Abraham, right? The ram that's going to be sacrificed in place of Isaac. Okay. Don't forget the tongues made with tongues. Oh, God. It seems My that... My favorite. Right? It seems that at the beginning of time, after six days of order and differentiation, this is what we started class with, God created one more thing, liminal time. And there was evening and there was morning. That's what we get in Torah. There was evening, there was morning, day one. And then there was something between evening and morning, something more murky, something more mysterious and positively miraculous, turns out, says the tradition, ben hashmashot. In the midst of this gray zone, this relatively undifferentiated time period, what happens there? Whimsy, beauty, oddity, and creativity were born. Some of the most stunning and strange of the Torah's miracles emerged on the edges of order, on the edges of structured time. So we're going, wait, what? What? We thought it was all about order. We thought it was about black and white. Tamei and Tahor, Kadosh and Chol, Lo'ed and Wait, what are you saying here, Svaremet? This is a Hasidic master blowing it up blowing up the priestly system saying no to some extent yes but really no when does all the really groovy yummy cool hallucinogenic stuff happen it happens in between which is also why it's dangerous it's also why it's a little mm, don't go there right because crazy things happen in that space what did i find really beautiful about this that's already like whoa okay I wonder if this is the aspect of Shabbat that the Omer shares, says Rabbi Smokler. Standing between the two most epic experiences of Jewish history, the Exodus and the Revelation, perhaps we are invited to dwell, Ben Hashmashot, between those big lights for seven weeks, to stew in an elongated period of time, unbounded by strict ritual or preset expectations to feel into the or, the ordinary extraordinariness that is our daily existence. Perhaps there we might find tamimut, a sense of wholeness. Perhaps there we might find miracles. Okay, like, right? Like, so wh- why did this move me so much? A, because it's completely counterintuitive, right? The Sfatimed is arguing against the entire, in some ways, priestly system, but not really, because we don't want, but, but anyway, so why did this move me so? Because all we're doing right now as an institution, all I'm hearing from my colleagues, all I'm hearing from great thought leaders right now is what it means to live ben hashmashot, between pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. We are in between. We thought we weren't going to have to wear masks anymore. And what happened? Omicron. And then what happened? A more contagious subvariant of Omicron. Then what happened? A more contagious, by 25%, BA2. A more contaminating element happened and changed behavior again. 
And now, but now people aren't getting as sick and they're not in the hospital and dying. So those numbers aren't going up. So LA County hasn't changed. But we know we are living Ben Hashmashot. We are living in this really messy in between time of trying to figure out what to do. What's or the, the extraordinariness of this ordinary is so for me, so palpable right now. People don't know what to do. It's not pandemic time and it's not post-pandemic time. It's this weird in-betweenness as we are in the Omer. As we are in the counting of the Omer, we are in this weird, extraordinary, ordinary, trying to figure out with no guidance about on sacred time, you know what to do, which offerings to bring. You're not supposed to work. You're da 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 on regular time, you know what you're supposed to do. Your boss tells you what to do, right? Or whoever your boss is at home tells you what to do, right? And so you know what you're supposed to do generally. I mean, where we have to feel it out, but you kind of know the rhythm of, of your daily life. What do you do with this in-betweenness of uh, it's not one or the other? And and I think it's a really beautiful insight in general that that, that it's the in-between where the interesting stuff lies. In general, we, we want to categorize everything now in our society between right, wrong, left, right, red, blue, right, conservative, liberal. We want to we want to make everything a binary, and that's how everyone's talking or in binaries. And and what I love from this teaching is it's Ben Hashmashot where all the interesting stuff is. The miracles happen, but yeah, the big miracles. Okay, the liberation from slavery. Yeah, that was a big one. And the receiving of the Torah, the miracle of that. Okay, that was kind of big. In between are the little yummy miracles of a donkey that talks, of a rainbow that appears in the sky just when you think, uh-oh, here we go again. It's raining. Oh, crap. Right. So for me, that is an incredibly important message for our time, that that's where the miraculous lives and has its its maybe its seeds of the beginning is in these in it's in the in between. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website www.ourki.org